last week, Casey mentioned that the Jewish leaders are ready to stone Christ for revealing himself to who he really was, that he was God in the flesh. And we see that Jesus moves on. After almost losing his life, what does he do next? Where does he go? Well, let's open our Bibles to John 9 to find out. John 9, starting in verse 1. And as we begin, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. We honor you, Father. We're so blessed to be able to come together corporately as the body of Christ and magnify you. Help us to be that zealous for magnifying you when we wake up, when we're just having fun, when we're at work, when we're with our families. Help us to be zealous for living for you and lifting you high, not just here, but everywhere we're at. Father, we ask that you convict us of our sin. Help us to, your Holy Spirit, to work through us that we may walk in your grace, that we may walk in repentance, Father. Help us to be people like that. We ask with our brothers and sisters all around the world, in Kenya, everywhere else, Father, that you would be lifting them up and that you would be glorified in them as well. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. In Christ's name, amen. Well, let's look at John 9, 1. And it says this, as he, that is Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Christ turns his attention to a beggar. He leaves the self-sufficient, know-it-all Pharisees, and he sees a walk, a, a, a weak, downtrodden, helpless, poor beggar. Christ knew this blind man. Christ knew this man's history. And it wasn't because he was friends with this man or because Christ looked him up on Google or Facebook before he met him. No, Jesus supernaturally knew this man. Christ knew the details of this man's life. Christ knew how this man was suffering. Christ knew the frustrations. He knew the fears. He knew the loneliness in this man was dealing with being blind. Christ knew what it felt like living in utter darkness for all of his life. Christ's attention, his energy, was focused on this poor, blind beggar. I wonder this morning, if we see Christ, do we see a Savior, a Lord, who is there in the midst of our suffering as well? Many of us know that Jesus cares for the blind beggar because it's in the Bible, right? But I wonder how many of us really know he cares for us. He cares for the suffering we are going through as his elect, as his children. Which leads to point number one. Christ ministers to us in our suffering. Point number one simply says that Christ ministers to us in our suffering Peter tells us to cast all our anxiety on him, that's Christ, because he cares for you. He cares for us. When we are suffering, when we are in pain, when we are confused, when we are full of sorrow, Christ is there. 
and he cares for us. Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest that can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Christ understands what troubles we are facing. Christ knows what we are struggling with. Christ knows what we are going through at the present moment. Some of us today may have walked in here full of pain as our life has possibly fallen apart. Maybe it was a loss of a loved one or possibly a loss of something significant and we now feel hopeless, isolated, and alone. Christ this morning pierces through the crowds and sees a blind beggar. And that means he also sees us. He sees you and me as we face suffering. As we look at our passage this morning, we move on to John 9, 2, and the camera sort of, sort of leaves Christ for a moment and turns to the, the, the disciples, and they ask Christ a question about the blind man. The disciples say to Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, for this man to be born blind? Here the disciples are thinking of the why behind the man's suffering. Why was this man born blind? It's human nature to ask the why. Someone or even ourselves are going through painful or tough situations in our lives. But most of the time we don't ever find out the why. But here the disciples think there are probably just two options to go with here. For the man's blindness, either this guy sinned or his parents, right? Well, let me give us a few reasons why it's dangerous to assume we know why someone is suffering. The first reason, assuming the why of suffering can be dangerous because it can lead to wrong conclusions. You might want to write this down. The first reason, assuming the why of suffering can be dangerous because it can lead to wrong conclusions. Let's go back to our passage, John 9, 2. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So the disciples thought it boiled down to just two options. Either the man himself sinned or his parents. But if we look ahead in our verses, we would see that Christ says both of the disciples' options were wrong. But I must say, I don't think we're very different than the disciples today. We see someone lose their job or someone gets a serious illness or someone goes bankrupt and we sometimes think, what did they do to deserve this? <coughs> yep, it's about time. It's about time God deals with Kevin. He's been rebelling against God for a long time. The reality is we need to be very careful of our assumptions because there's a good chance we're wrong. I mean, the disciples took two shots on why the guy was blind and they were nowhere near the truth. The problem often lies in the fact that we really don't consider that our assumptions can be wrong. We don't recognize our assumptions are just that. They're assumptions. We sometimes think that the thoughts that run through our minds is actually the gospel truth, right? 
But it boils down to the fact that sometimes we think too highly about our own thinking, about our own judgments, about our own understanding. Romans, Paul tells us in Romans, he tells us not to think too highly of ourselves, but to be sober-minded, which means to have a right or accurate view of ourselves. That's including our judgments. What's the old saying about when we assume things? Well, I didn't know the old saying until Pastor Casey sort of enlightened me with such knowledge. It's such knowledge, I'm not even going to share it from the pulpit. But I must say, I'm a little surprised that Pastor Casey knew such a saying. I mean, I thought he probably just memorized the Bible all the time. So I think the best thing we could do is pray for Pastor Casey right now. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't tell me that saying. It was our worship leader, Luke. No, no. Okay, okay. I'm getting a little off track. Well, let's get back on track. Let's reel it back in. Sorry. Um, But I wonder, though, church, how serious do we consider our assumptions? In humility and self-control, we learn to question our own thinking. We learn to challenge our own understanding, recognizing our heart often tries to deceive us. This leads to the second reason, assuming the why of suffering is dangerous, because it often leads to subjective speculations. The second reason, assuming the why of suffering is dangerous, because it often leads to subjective speculations. And definition for speculation, if you're wondering what that means, is to form a theory without firm evidence. It's not usually a thus saith the Lord chapter and verse sort of answer. It's usually a foggy, unclear impression or some sort of warm, fuzzy feeling in the pit of our stomachs or or a sign that we see in the clouds from God or God told me why so-and-so is suffering. Let me give us some examples of the subjective answers people give on why someone is suffering. Here's one. God told me the answer to reason why you lost your sight. And it had something to do with when you were in high school. I think you one time played with a Ouija board. No, you didn't play with a Ouija board. But you actually, I think you walked by a Ouija board one time. No, you didn't walk. Well, you had a friend that played with a Ouija board. Or another example is I saw a sign a week ago. When you walked outside and a black cat ran in front of you. And I knew the cat was really a demon in disguise. And I knew the demon put a curse on you and that's why you're sick today. These stories sound pretty far-fetched, right? But I will tell you, I have heard many stories like this. There are certain people, especially in the charismatic movement, who mix a little mysticism, a little Christianity, a little New Age, a little psychology, and instantly, voila, we get some outlandish reason why so-and-so is going through suffering. These folks are modern-day soothsayers that use Scripture out of context. Paul tells Timothy that he should avoid those who lead people into endless speculations. These false teachers don't guide people to God's word, but lead them to further confusion. Well, the third reason, assuming the why of suffering is dangerous, is because it often leads to harsh judging. 
The third reason, assuming the why of suffering is dangerous, is because it often leads to harsh judging. Going back to John 9, where the disciples assumed that the beggar's blindness was caused by his own bad behavior, and if not his, then at least his parents, right? So not only is the man born blind, but now we have a blind beggar who is falsely accused of creating his own blindness, right? That's pretty tough. That's a rough call. And if you take it a step further, what it means is that God caused his blindness because of his own sinfulness. I know this one firsthand. As our first son, Luke, around two months was diagnosed with hydrocephalus. And we were praying and going back and forth to Miami Children's Hospital weekly. And it was a pretty intense time, emotionally wearing. And I remember one Sunday morning, I was a little shaken up and burdened about our son's health. And a woman came up to me after church and said she wanted to talk to me. And she seemed a little bit angry, a little bit frustrated. So I decided to go out by the baptismal just to make sure that everything's okay. And she said to me, your son has a demon. Your son has a demon. And I was a little taken back by the comment, so I didn't respond. I just sort of listened, and she said it louder and more direct. Your son has a demon. And, and then she says, he's having all his issues because he's being demonically attacked, and there's a demon in your two-month-old son. And she said to me next, you got to have more faith as a leader in the church. You need to go and cast that demon out in the name of Jesus. I won't say what I was thinking at that moment. Um, But we later found out, many tests later, that our son didn't have hydrocephalus at all. The doctors concluded that our son was just blessed with a large head. I'm not sure where he got the large head thing from. (laughs) But I tell the story not to play the victim, as I have been a harsh judger at times to others as well. So that's not my point. But I want us to see the ugliness of what it looks like to be a harsh judge towards someone who is going through suffering. Brothers and sisters, we need to be careful about airing our assumptions with those who are suffering, who are going through struggles. We can say some pretty devastating, hurtful things to one another in the name of Jesus, in the name of God, when we answer, when, especially when our answer could be false. It could be wrong. Paul encourages how to speak to others. In Colossians 4, 6, he says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So we get a picture of our conversations with those that are suffering wrapped in grace as we share God's word with them. The question is, are we cautious with our judgments of others going through suffering? Are we assuming the best of others who are facing painful struggles and trials? And then also, are we actually taking them in the word of God to help them with their suffering? Well, let's go back to our main passage. John 9. 
We're going to go back and reread verse 2 and move on to verse 3. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. The disciples were able to ask the source. Get the real scoop on this man's suffering. And Jesus blows the disciples' minds by saying, the man was born blind to display the works of God. In essence, Jesus said, the man was born blind so that God would get glory out of this man. It's also interesting how many try to wash God's hands of suffering. They say the opposite of what Jesus says in our verses here. They say things like this, God would help if he could, or God doesn't want you to have that disease. It's the enemy's fault, or God didn't cause that earthquake. It was a natural disaster. I wonder if we really believe these statements. We, we just heard Jesus say why the man was born blind. Christ didn't blame it on the man, nor did he blame it on bad genetics, nor did he blame it on his parents or even Satan. Jesus answered, verse 3, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This man suffered for 20, possibly 20, possibly 30, we don't know how old he was, possibly 40 years because God was going to glorify himself and work a miracle in this man's life. leads to point number two. God is sovereign over suffering. Point number two says that God is sovereign over suffering. This is what scripture clearly teaches, that God is in control of our suffering. Let's look at some of the passages on God's sovereignty over suffering. Isaiah 45, 7 says this, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all things. Lamentations 3, 37 and 38. Who has spoken and it has come to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Ecclesiastes 7.14, when times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider this, God has made the one as well as the other. Job 1.21 says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord will take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That should be a song. <laughs> Proverbs 16.9, the heart of man plans his ways but the Lord establishes his steps. I wonder if we know this God who is sovereign over all of our trials. Some may say, that's not the God I know. That's not the God I was taught about in my church. And my response is, I just read what the scripture said. Not what I thought but what God's word plainly just said. I would ask us all this morning, who else would we want to have control over our suffering? Is it better to have God in control of our trials or Satan? If we are children of God, we can know that our suffering isn't for nothing. 
there is always purpose for them as God is truly over them, in them, and through them. Amen? But in our society, I think we look at suffering a little differently. We look at trials often in a wrong perspective, a different light. We don't see God in the middle of them. We often see them as hindrances. We often see suffering as roadblocks. We often see suffering as problems that need to be dealt with quickly so we can get on with life again. So we can go back to pursuing our dreams and all the wonderful things that we have planned for ourselves, right? But biblically, suffering moves us in the right direction, the direction that God wants us to go in. Which leads to point number three. Suffering is grace. From God. Suffering is grace from God. You may be thinking, that sounds crazy. How can suffering be grace from God? Well, let me give you three reasons why suffering is grace from God. The first reason suffering is grace of God because it shows us reality. The first reason suffering is the grace of God is because it shows us Reality, 1 Peter 1, 6 and part of 7 say this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith. Suffering shows the reality, the genuineness, the level, the depth of the faith that we actually have as believers. I remember in college thinking, I was ready to take on the world for Christ. I thought my faith was strong and solid. I thought of myself as a modern-day apostle Paul. I know that is a humble thing to say. And yes, I do cringe just saying it out loud here. I hope I don't get struck by lightning. But I was blinded by a lot of arrogance and pride as a young man. But God allowed me to get a glimpse of my delusional faith. God gave me a teacher who really didn't like me very much at all in college. And I had this teacher, for some reason, for the next two years, in different classes. It was a rough couple of years, to say the least. And it really affected me. I began to get angry with this teacher. I would debate him in class. And I wondered, why was God allowing this Unfair teacher to get away with murder every day. But it wasn't my teacher that needed to be dealt with. God was dealing with me, showing me that my faith was more about me than him. More about me than it was about God. I started doing some soul searching during this time because I was so desperate for God to do something. And I realized most of my faith was centered on Wanting people to like me or others to think highly of me. I was more worried about people liking me than than trying to glorify God and point them to Christ at that time. Charles Spurgeon says wisely, Trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and let us see what we are made of. That's just a great picture. Is God testing your faith this morning? Maybe you're having some family issues and you are lashing out on loved ones. Maybe you're blaming them for what is inside of you. Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of us is from us. And we can't blame others for what's coming out of us. 
God may be revealing the cracks, the shallowness of our faith this morning. Maybe we have been too dependent on ourselves, and now through the suffering, we're learning to let go and start depending on God. Well, the second reason suffering is the grace of God, because it grows us. The second reason suffering is the grace of God is because it grows us. James 1-2 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James says, count it all joy. Be full of exuberance when you go through trials of many kinds. Get excited when God pushes you to your limit. I mean, that's what we usually do, right? We usually start rejoicing when trials come our way. When the pain starts, when we really start going through it, we become joyful. Can you imagine if you just lost your job and you went home and said, Honey, we're going to celebrate tonight. I just lost my job. And we're going through a trial which the Bible talks about. James tells us that we will. And when we're suffering, we should have joy. And by the way, we might lose our house. Wow, this is going to be great. I wonder how God's going to grow us through this trial. I think if I acted that way, my wife would think I lost my mind, right? The question is, why would we get excited? Why would we be joyful during such painful trials? Well, let's look back to James 1. Two through four, and he tells us, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for when you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James says, trials, the suffering, tests us, it does, but the testing also then grows us. It does both simultaneously. That's why we should rejoice. That's why we should count it all joy. The suffering reveals who we are, but it also gives us opportunity to grow, to mature, to go deeper in our faith. It's similar to rock climbing, of course, right? I mean, it would be a lot easier for a mountain climber just to take a helicopter up to the top of the mountain, right? But instead, they climb it. But the climb is what it's all about. They start at the bottom, climb up one step at a time. It tests their ability. It tests their strength. It tests their endurance. And similarly, testing this way also builds on the ability they already have. It builds on the endurance that they already have. And it builds on the strength that they already have. The more they climb, the harder they push themselves, and the better mountain climber they become, right? When we suffer, it tests our patience. And at the same time, gives us opportunity to grow in patience. When we suffer, it tests our love. And at the same time, gives us opportunity to learn how to love more. More like our Savior, When we suffer, it tests our self-control, our joy, our peace, and simultaneously gives us opportunity to grow in all these areas as well. Amen? When we suffer, it tests our dependence on God. 
while at the same time maturing and, de- and causing us to depend on Christ all the more. I wonder if we see how suffering brings about opportunities of growth and maturity in our walk with Christ. I wonder if we are rejoicing the trials in our sufferings that we're facing this morning. Randy Alcorn said this, God doesn't simply want us to feel good. He wants us to be good. And very often the road to being good involves not feeling good. Third reason suffering is the grace of God because it draws us closer to Christ. The third reason suffering is the grace of God because it draws us closer to Christ. I mean, it's so easy to cruise. It's so easy just to go through the motions. It's so easy to get stuck in our routines. It's so easy to depend on ourselves. It's so easy to get caught up in selfish passions and purposes and goals and on and on. It's so easy to live on our own trying to please ourselves, and it's so easy to think of ourselves over God. And then a trial rips through our nice little life that we've created, we think we've created, right? And throws everything off. The suffering starts its refining process on us. We start to get out of our routines. We stop cruising. We realize how far we have drifted from our Lord and Savior Christ. We recognize how much we have given ourselves over to the world. We recognize how selfish we become. We recognize how easily we become angry when things don't go our way. And ultimately recognize that we have left our first love, who is Christ. How often, how often we have said things like, I've grown so close to God when life was running smoothly. It's not the case, right? We grow in the Lord when we're in trials and struggles and suffering. In the torrents of trials and suffering, we find Christ. Our sights focus in on Christ. We begin to live for him, serve him, renew our zeal for him. Our renewed love for Christ is often planted in the seeds of suffering. Well, in conclusion, you may be suffering this morning. And I would encourage you, I would beg you, as I would say the same to myself, to consider it pure joy. Count it all joy, James tells us. Don't waste your suffering. It is the grace of God in our lives. Suffering is a gift wrapped up for us. Suffering is a gift that refocuses us. Suffering is a gift that refuels us. Suffering is a gift that reminds us there is more to this life than fashion, finances, prestige, power, and pleasure. Suffering often confronts the idols of our hearts. Suffering breaks us down and humbles us. Suffering is a gift that lets us see more of Christ. Christ is our sufficiency. If you don't know him this morning, I would call you to repent and turn to Christ and believe on the only Lord and Savior. 
Without Christ, church, without Christ, our lives and our sufferings are worthless. With Christ, our lives and our suffering are rich in purpose. There's a reason behind them. Family church, may we suffer well. May we suffer like our Savior. May we look to him as our strength. We can have hope. We can have courage. We can rejoice in whatever we face because Christ has already given us victory. Amen? Well, let me end by reading 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18. And it's Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And he says this, So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, please forgive us for often squandering our times of suffering, failing to see how, your, how our suffering leads us to glorify and magnify you. We're often so focused on our pains, our hurts, our wants, our supposed needs, that we forget that you're doing a work in us through them. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to recognize we deserve nothing. You've given us so much. We don't want your justice. We thank you for your grace. Help us to suffer and glorify you in our suffering and to be a light to those around us and wonder why Does that person act that way when they're suffering? They should be crumbling, and instead they're they're excited. Help us to be people like that. May you use us for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.